Welcome to Southern Sisters Radio on Faith Talk Atlanta, the show for Southern women and the men who adore them. Join us as we celebrate life from a Southern point of view. Here's your host, author, founder of Southern Sisters Home and true Southern sister, Jenny McCormick Earhart. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Southern Sisters Radio Program, the show for Southern women and the men who adore them. I'm your host, Jenny McCormick Earhart, back again on a beautiful Saturday and just enjoying and relishing this time in the South. You know, it's getting a little hot out there. You know how you kind of go from that that point in the summertime when it's just kind of mildly hot, right? It's nice and warm. You kind of feel like you're in a little incubator. And then all of a sudden, the heat starts getting turned up. You know what I'm talking about, Marquee? Yeah, I do. (laughs) So we start out enjoying the heat, and I'm starting to be concerned that maybe, uh, I don't know, I'm I'm worried about my Southern license, that maybe I'm not loving the heat like a true Southerner should. There's an explanation for that. Why is that? Well, so we did genealogy. I did some genealogy on my family. Okay. (laughs) I got a lot of Swedish roots. Oh, You know what I'm saying? Cold weather. Think about that, cold weather. So I'm starting to think that maybe genetically I'm not designed for the heat. Is, is that even, I don't even know if that's possible. Yeah, could be. I'm probably designed that way too. Are you really? I hate the heat. Well, do you? Really? Yes. And you're a good Southern boy. I am. Okay. So there's hope for me. I like the warmth. I just don't like it when it gets intensely hot. Well, I've talked before about my dog, Dixie, my shaggy haired Australian shepherd, female dog that I just love. She's just like another child to me. And she, she, she doesn't like it either. <laughs> she's about she's about had enough of it. We were out there uh, in the backyard. I think I talked about it on last week's show that she's just not really wanting to chase the ball. She's been a little diva ish about it. <laughs> something in the grass has bothered her. We suspect she may have gotten stung by something Uh-oh. recently. And so she's prancing around the exterior of the lawn on the sidewalk or on the driveway and just very daintily stepping into the to the grass as if she's afraid of it. Uh, you see what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah, I've got to figure out what's going on. Well, folks, you guys know that we love our listeners. We love it when you call and email us. We had a little mishap last week with our email. It crashed and we lost some messages. So I'm just going to address that for just a moment. We had a few of our listeners that were wondering about our Southern narrative from last week and wanted to know which book it was that we took our Southern narrative from. So just so you know, in case you want to pick it up, it was from the Southerner's Handbook, A Guide to the Good Life. Now, this book was published by the editors of Garden and Gun Magazine. So there you have it. It's full of all kinds of wonderful Southern stories. Everything from seersucker to throwing the perfect cocktail party, you know, essentials of the Southern life, Marquis. Essentials. Yes. <laughs> Do you throw a proper cocktail party? I've get... never thrown a cocktail. <laughs> I mean, unless you mean we just got some beers and some alcohol and got drunk. <laughs> no, that's oh. not what I meant. Well, that counts too, right? That's, <laughs> well, I've that's, thrown a couple. That's a different chapter. <laughs> well, you've got five little ones at home now, so there's not a whole lot of oh, no. entertaining going on at the moment. At but I did want to tell you, I, I thought of you this week. I found a recipe, and uh, I think it's something your kids would love. Uh-oh. Yeah. Uh, no, really, it's awesome. It, it, was, it was important enough for me to jot this down and be sure to mention it to you this week. I found the most awesome, fun recipe. Um, and this would be great if you had younger children like you do. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry I didn't have this when my kids were young. It's called Loaded, loaded Tater Tot Kebabs. Uh-oh. Now, it sounds good, doesn't yeah, it? it does, yeah. Okay, this is one of those you know, little shortcut, you know, it's not particularly fancy, but then again, 
Uh, if your kids are like my kids, they do not appreciate fancy. Not in, at all. In any shape or form, right? So listen to what you do with this. All you need is about a 32-ounce package of frozen tater tots, one-ounce package of ranch dressing, you know, so you can use the Hidden Valley Ranch envelope mm-hmm. of ranch seasoning, and about a half a teaspoon of salt. You want to throw your frozen tater tots and, and the, ranch, the ranch seasoning and the salt into a bowl, kind of toss it around a little bit, and then uh, lay them out on a baking sheet and just bake them according to the package directions for the tater tots, right? Now, when they come out, you want to let them cool off a little bit, and you need to get yourself some of those wooden skewers. They're just, I don't know, they're about seven, maybe seven inches, six, seven inches long. And what you're going to do is you're going to skewer those tater tots right on to that little wooden skewer and then lay them all flat back on the baking sheet. Okay, over the tater tots, you're going to sprinkle about a cup of shredded cheddar, one cup of shredded Monterey Jack and about four slices of crumbled cooked bacon. Okay, Mm. bake them for about 10 minutes at 425 until all that cheese gets all melty and bubbly over the top of those tater tots. Uh, pull them out. You want to let them cool just a little bit before you hand them off to the kiddos. But I'm telling you, they are, they just looked amazing to me. I wanted some myself. I was channeling my inner child. Want to do it today. I would I would top them with a little sliced green onions. I don't know if the kids would like that. And then you can have, also have some ranch dressing on the side for kind oh, of just, dipping You just in. had to spruce it up with the green onions. I know, right? Make it green. <laughs> it's, it's, that's my mother in me. That's my southern mother in the back of my head saying, you got to have something green on the plate <laughs> every time. <laughs> anyway, so there you go. Fancy, fancy feast there, folks, for the Southern Sisters. Tater tot kebabs. Give it a try if you've got little ones. I've got some friends that have, um, believe it or not, I have friends now that have some grandchildren. What? Yeah, well, I like to tell myself that I'm not old enough for that sort of thing. You're not. Well, thank you. Oh, spoken like a true Southern gentleman, Marquis. Thank you for that. No, I do. I have some girlfriends. Maybe they started a little young, and now they've got grandchildren. So they're always looking for fun little kid-friendly you know, things that they can have. I love what you said in a Southern type of way. Maybe they started a little young. I love that. (laughs) I'm making no judgment or implications (laughs) on that comment. (laughs) Well, guess what? Uh, This week, another thing that is so classic and fun about living in the South, for those of you that may have daughters of the Marian age, okay, Mm -hmm. or sons, right, who might be of the Marian age, um, you may very well be invited to a bridal shower. Now, this is a classic sort of, Right of you know, this is something that every bride typically has at least one bridal shower in the South. You may have three or four or ten. <laughs> it just depends on how many friends you have and how many relatives you have. Mm-hmm. But uh, we had a fun bridal shower this past week for my second daughter, Kelly, who's getting married in September. Oh. And one of the sort of iconic places um, in the South, if you live anywhere near the Atlanta area, is the Swan Coach House yes. in Buckhead. Are yes. you familiar with it? Mm-hmm. Are you familiar with their their bridal showers by any chance? You um, attended any of them there, No, Marquee? I haven't attended many bridal showers in my life. You didn't put on your hat and head off to a bridal shower? No. <laughs> well, it is a bridal shower mill. Uh, in fact, the day that we had my daughter's bridal shower, um, we were about the seventh one that day. Wow. They, they, they bring them in and they turn them out. Let me tell you, there were three bridal showers at about 10, 15, and then those finished up and they got booted out and then the next three came in. <laughs> they just usher you out. Just, hey, gotta go, gotta go, gotta go. <laughs> it was so classic and wonderful and beautiful, though. You know, you have your chicken salad. We had mimosas. Um, you know, they make a wonderful dessert there and it is a um it's a chocolate mousse but it is kind of piped it, it it's it's a mound of chocolate mousse and then they take the whipped cream and they kind of create the shape of a swan and then they have like a little cookie 
head that's in the Ooh. shape of a swan. They, so basically, the dessert looks like a beautiful white swan, but when you cut into it, it's got it's filled with chocolate mousse. Oh, that just sounds so expensive. Doesn't sound delightful, doesn't it? <laughs> yes. I know you want some of that. <laughs> delightful and expensive, but it sounds great. <laughs> I went home and told the boys in my family about it, and they were like, uh, yeah, we're sorry we missed that. <laughs> it's just something not masculine about it. Well, we've got an exciting show, actually, this week. We're going to be talking, well, two unrelated kind of things, but uh, both important in the South. One of them are dogs. Dogs, yeah. Okay, yeah. We got a little, our Southern narrative this week is going to be talking about, we got a wonderful dog story for you. So folks, if you are dog fans, and quite frankly, most people that I know are, mm-hmm. right, um, you'll want to stay tuned for that. We're going to share that with you a little bit later. And then also we're going to be talking about peaches. Ooh, I love peaches. Mm, do you? I love them. You're in luck. Take notes. We're going to be talking about peaches today, all about them in the South. And there's probably a lot more to it than you may realize. Uh, Just like last week, we learned an awful lot of things about watermelons. Yes. Mm -hmm. Summertime is just the gift that keeps giving, right? We have such an abundance of fresh produce here in the South. So many different ways to incorporate them into our menus and the things that we're eating uh, over the summertime and ways to prepare them that kind of please everybody in the household, right? So anyway, that's what we're going to be talking about a little bit later. And I have to tell you, you. Um, for those of you that um, live well, that have, for those of you that are spending a lot of time in the kitchen and uh, and wanting to get things ready and quick, you know, let's say you've got a larger family, you're trying to get things ready and prepared and on the table quickly. Um, we've got some great suggestions for you this week. And one of the nicest things about cooking with fresh produce here in the South is it's so readily available. Now, for those of you that are ambitious enough to have a little garden in your backyard, I have to say, I'm enjoying that greatly. I'll, in fact, it's kind of changed the way I'm thinking about some of the dishes that I'm making. Even this morning, I was scrambling some eggs. And just the fact that I knew I had this little garden out back, which is a new thing for me, um, I dashed out there this morning, grabbed some green onions, chopped those up, threw those into the scrambled eggs, a little Gruyere cheese. Um, it's just kind of changing the way I'm thinking about what I'm cooking and making. I grabbed some basil last week, put that on one of my sandwiches. Mm, 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 mm. Oh, yeah. Anyway, so we've got so much to talk about today. Lots of wonderful things about living in the South. We're so glad you're here to join us for the Southern Sisters radio program. And we'll be right back. As Southern as pecan pie or pecan pie and twice as sweet. Southern Sisters radio on Faith Talk Atlanta. Peach. I have a peach. A nice juicy peach and I'll eat it on the beach. I like peaches because they're sweet and fuzzy. They taste really good and smell really yummy. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Southern Sisters radio program. I'm your host, Jenny McCormick Earhart, and we are talking, well, quite frankly, we're talking about a big controversy in the news this past week. It was was serious. It was contentious. uh, A lot of arguments involved. It was just, uh, it got really ugly, Marquis. Guess what it was about? You want to? Yeah, what was it about? You think it was about politics? Oh, uh, mm. I would think no. No, okay, no, you'd be wrong. You'd be wrong. It was about peaches. Really? Oh, yeah. Oh. And it got nasty. <laughs> it got really nasty, folks. Listen to what happened. It all began when Kathleen Purvis, who is a food writer for the New York Times, gave this quote. She said, Peaches should never be eaten before the 4th of July. From there, one has exactly six weeks to fill up. Hmm. Do you find that inflammatory at all? Those dang Yankees. <laughs> They're always getting in trouble. Apparently, she has some Southern roots. But if you're writing for the New York Times, I kind of feel like you forfeit that, uh, you know, <laughs> you forfeit that credential. You're no longer a Southerner. No, I'm teasing. Well, here's the here's the interesting thing, guys. It's it actually for some people, it was a little inflammatory. 
Um, it very likely is. You see, a peach grower in the south of Georgia, if you are a peach grower in the south of Georgia, um, you know very well that you are you have got plenty of juicy, sweet peaches ready, right, in, in as early as late May. Okay, you do not have to wait until the 4th of July in the South to start enjoying peaches. Okay, so these southern more, I guess, further down south, the peach growers, they were not amused by this comment whatsoever. And apparently a social media war ensued. Uh It got ugly. It did. So as we know. Southerners are a bit of a feisty bunch. Mm-hmm. Would you agree with that? Marky? I would agree. Mm-hmm. And we are somewhat, hmm, I don't know, maybe argumentative. Yes. <laughs> on occasion. Okay. Well, don't let the sweet disp- dispositions of most Southern women, such as moi, <laughs> don't let that fool you. We are as perfectly capable as being up for a contentious argument as our Northern neighbors. And if you start making you know, assumptions, shall we say, about our beautiful Southern produce, you're likely in for a fight. Yes. Okay. Now, this is not the first time that there has been a controversy over Southern food. There are several different camps of folks out there that kind of like to debate this uh, food subjects on a regular basis. One might be mayonnaise. Yeah, mayonnaise. Right. I mean, like for example, I'm a big Dukes fan. You are. You became. I'm a, a Dukes convert. A big Dukes convert. But there are folks out there that are just as devoted to their particular brand. Could be Blue Plate. You know. Could be Hellman's. Could mm-hmm. be. Sacrilege craft. (laughs) (laughs) It could be. (laughs) And then what about biscuits? I know there's two. When I was definitely researching biscuits for my first cookbook, um, I had my recipes that I loved. But I also was very interested in what other people did in terms of their biscuit recipes. Mm -hmm. So I found there were typically two camps, the butter camp and the shortening camp. You see what I'm saying? And there are advantages and disadvantages to both, right? But there's another point of contention there could be what kind of uh, lard or fat you're using in your biscuits. Don't even get me started on barbecue. (laughs) Talk about debate. Talk about opinions, right? People are very ready and willing to share their opinions and their uh, differences of opinions, shall we say, about barbecue, depending on where you live. In fact, barbecue debates can get about, they can get really nasty. We're talking Hatfield and McCoy's type of nasty. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, anyway, basically, what Kathleen Purvis of the New York Times ended up doing was dissing all of those southern peach stands, right, that have basketfuls of sweet peaches long before the 4th of July, right? Now, some of these stands are legendary. Some of them have been around for a long, long time. Now, my second daughter, who attended Georgia College, um, there's a peach stand on the way to uh, Georgia College and State University in Milledgeville, Georgia. I would pass it on 441 between Madison and Milledgeville every time I would go to visit her. And one of the funny things about it was that the word peaches, well, it was misspelled. (laughs) There was a big sign out front, and it was spelled correctly on one side, but it was spelled incorrectly on the other side. So as you were heading towards Milledgeville, you saw the uh, Petches sign. (laughs) And when you're heading out of town, you saw the Peaches sign, right? Whatever you want to call it, they had lots of amazing, glorious produce, including including peaches. Uh, So it became affectionately known as the Petches stand. But uh, so my my very, very sincere apology to The New York Times. But this Southern girl disagrees with their assessment. I would not pass up for a minute a pre-4th of July peach here in the South. And I know that Southerners sure don't. Now, remember, a lot of things go into uh, basically the end result 
of a peach, right? It's going to depend on the region that you're living in in the South, where where the trees are located, the types of trees. Mm -hmm. There's more than one kind. And also the weather. You know, it could be the weather seasonally, how much rain you've had, you know, or lack thereof. So in terms of eating peaches, cooking with peaches, preserving peaches, here in the South, we enjoy them all summer long from May to August. August. Okay. And interestingly, Marquis, you might like to tuck this little piece of trivia away. This may come in handy one day for you. Okay. Like pimento cheese, peaches did not originate in the South. Can you even imagine? You're you're a liar. (laughs) I've been called worse. (laughs) Now, you know, Southern women don't lie. Oh, you don't. We just bend the truth a little bit. Just a little bit. Well, you're bending the truth a lot. I am. You think think so? (laughs) That's because you think peaches came originated in the South, and they didn't. Believe it or not, get any idea off the top of your head where peaches might have come from? (sighs) India. Ooh, my goodness gracious. Well, you are... Technically, kind of correct. Oh. You're close. Asia. Oh, so in general, yeah, 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 yeah. you're in the same. You're in the right <laughs> continent. How about that? And now that they were brought to brought to Georgia, they thrive in the South because peaches love that hot, mm-hmm. humid temperature. It's perfect for them, right? So, what I suggest to all of our listeners, if you're living here in the South, you just need to get to know your peaches. And I know that sounds funny, but you know, talk to your fruit stand owners. The one I do this all the time. Um, I'm always picking their brain about what's in season, maybe what's coming just around the corner. Um, there are some very basic varieties of peaches, and you'll kind of if you talk to your your local suppliers, you know, when you stop at the farmers market or the peach stands or the, the fruit stands, I should say, um, you're going to learn a little bit more about them. Now, typically the early season, right, early on, we're talking about maybe like early. May or mid-May to early June, um, there's a variety called Red Haven, which is amazing. About the mid-season, you're going to hit uh, something called Bell of Georgia. Now, that's a freestone peach, hmm. uh, which is amazing. And then later in the season, there's a variety called Crest Haven. So you see, you can pretty much be uh, you know, eating peaches from the beginning to the end of summertime, depending on what variety is coming in going out, okay? And these var- these varieties do differ slightly, so it's good to get to know them. Now, you may also be aware that there are two types of peaches. Um, have any idea there? Marquis, what no, do you think? Actually, no. I, South Carolina and Georgia peach, that's it. Well, you know what? You actually are very accurate there. What? Oh, my goodness. So, well, no, I'm just, no, well, I mean, well, there's more to it than that. But what I was going to tell you is that <laughs> Georgia and South Carolina produce more peaches than any other state in the country. So we are we are the peach producers, as if you didn't know, right? No, the two types of, two basic types of peaches are freestone and clingstone. Okay, I know about cling. You know about cling. I know about cling. Okay, now, the clingstone, that's where the peach actually clings to the pit. Right. And those are available mid-May to early June. They are great for eating. They're not as great really for canning and freezing. But then the the freestone peaches, those are the peaches that fall right off of the pit. And they are great also for eating. They're also perfect for canning and freezing. So cling, just think it clings to the pit, mm-hmm. whereas free, it floats around free just a little bit. It's a lot easier to, to eat because it just kind of, you know, you can just pop that pit right out. Now, how about ripening peaches? Well, okay. didn't we talk about this last week? Did we? Yeah. Remember, oh, did... I brought it up in the, like, the, well, not during the show, during the break. Yeah. Oh, okay. okay. And uh, I said it the way that I do it is I will get an unripened peach from the store, and uh-huh. I'll put it between two paper towels, just let it sit for about three or four days. 
yeah. and I get a nice, delicious, ripe peach. That's the marquee method. That's the marquee method. I like it. It's perfectly wonderful. Um, I've got another method, too. <laughs> but I think I like yours maybe even a little better. But a really good way to do this is because sometimes you get home and those peaches aren't quite ripe yet. They're a little bit hard. You can set a paper bag on its side and arrange the peaches inside it in a single layer, stem side down. Right? You want to make sure they're not touching each other. Fold the top of the bag closed, let it sit at room temperature for about 24 hours, and then check on it. You're looking for color and aroma, okay? So you, what you want to see to know that it's ready is you want sort of a warm yellow undertone and a distinctly peachy aroma, okay? Now, what do you think is going on inside that bag, Marky? What, what do you think is happening to those peaches? It's to help releasing them? something. Good, Good. Here you go. Ethylene gas. Ethylene gas. Doesn't sound very appetizing, does it? (laughs) Ethylene gas is a plant hormone that triggers the ripening process. So by enclosing the peaches in a bag, what you're doing is trapping the gas and speeding up the ripening. How about that? And here's another trick. If you want to make it go even faster, stick a banana or an apple in the bag with the peaches. That's going to boost the ethylene level and help those peaches to ripen even faster. What do you know? As always, folks, we love to hear from you, your comments and suggestions, you know, enlightened observations, any of those, especially when it comes to peaches Mm. and dogs, which we're going to be talking about this show also. So please send us your thoughts and uh, send us an email, actually, at radio at southernsistershome.com. And you can always catch all of our um, uh, recipes, the things we've been talking about on our website at southernsistershome.com. And we'll be right back. On the beach. I like peaches because they're sweet and fuzzy. They taste really good and smell really yummy. When I bite into a peach, the juice drips out and it gets... Moving to the country, I'm going to eat a lot of peaches. Hey there, welcome to the Southern Sisters radio program. I'm Jenny McCormick Earhart and we are talking peaches. Of course, we're in the South. And it is summertime, so you know those two things come together. You gotta, you gotta mention peaches. It's just one of the nicest things about living in the South in the summertime, biting into a nice, ripe, juicy peach with those juices just you know go running down your chin. What is not to love? So we've been talking about the different types of peaches. We've been talking about the uh, the sacrilege that was actually preached from the New York Times this week that we should not be eating peaches in the South before the Fourth of July which, of course, is just completely untrue. Depends on where you live in the South. We understand also now that you can get amazing, wonderful, juicy, sweet peaches as early as mid-May all the way through the end of August. Okay, The varieties may change, uh, but they're always available. So how should we be enjoying our summertime peaches? Well, let me count the ways, right? There are actually more ways than I can count. Like a lot of foods and a lot of fresh produce in the South, I have always felt that natural is best. Okay, some people want to give Southerners the reputation of covering everything up with condensed soup mixes and extra cheese and breadcrumbs and things of that nature. And uh, there are some dishes that are conducive to that. But a lot of fresh produce in the summertime, you know, folks, you really don't need to need to do a whole lot to it. And in fact, probably my number one favorite way to enjoy a peach is simply biting into it. You know what I'm saying? Just eating a fresh peach. But let's kind of give you some other ideas because I think you might like them also. One way, and this is something my mother used to do, was she would peel the peaches and slice them and put them in a bowl and then drizzle some kind of cream over the top. Now, it could be whipping cream. It could be, (laughs) it was the 70s. It might have been Cool Whip, (laughs) right? Or it could be, you know what I'll do sometimes this time of year? I know I always have half and half in the house for my coffee, so I'll kind of drizzle some of that over the top of it. 
So amazing. Peaches and cream. Um, also this time of year with the blueberries looking nice. I might add some blueberries. Okay. Um, for breakfast, I might actually sprinkle a little granola over the top and do it that way. Um, you know what's really amazing also? Oh, try this. Um, some fresh peaches in the bowl and then maybe a little bit of cream over the top. And then even you could even drizzle a little bit of honey over the top of it. Not Love a whole it. lot. Love that, it. Doesn't that sound good? Mm. Okay, and like I said, you can eat them room temperature, or I even have a friend that likes to warm her peaches up a little bit, and then she'll put a little scoop of vanilla ice cream on there so it kind of melts. Hello. <laughs> maybe maybe not for breakfast. No, not breakfast. <laughs> I don't know, though. You haven't been to my house. I've been known to eat chocolate cookies, chocolate cake for breakfast, right? Eggs, flour, right? Yeah. Remember that Bill Cosby routine when he said... Cake, uh, mom is great. Yeah. Right. Or dad, no, dad is, dad great. is great. It was yeah. dad is great, gave us some chocolate cake. <laughs> What's wrong with it for breakfast? Hey, but folks, we've also got some great menu ideas for you and recipe suggestions involving peaches. And one of my favorites, um, and this was a recipe that was passed down through my family. I've been making it for years. It was in my first cookbook, Sunday in the South. And it's inspired, the name comes from one of my favorite streets in Charleston, South Carolina, called Meeting Street. So what we've got is Meeting Street Peach Cobbler. And this mm. is probably one of the most classic ways to enjoy fresh peaches in, in terms of in a dessert form, right, is a peach cobbler. There, is there anything more Southern than peach cobbler? Well, maybe. Well, there's yeah. fried chicken and fried green tomatoes. And, well, there's mac and cheese. Oh, uh, there's black-eyed peas, too. Yeah. I forgot about that. Okay, Col- all right. I digress. <laughs> <laughs> Collard greens. But our Meeting Street Peach Cobbler, here's what you need to make this, guys. You need one stick of butter. This is not a complicated recipe. Not at all. Not at all. You need one cup of all-purpose flour. You need two cups of sugar divided in half. One tablespoon of baking powder. A fourth of a teaspoon of salt. One cup of milk. You're going to need four cups of fresh peaches. Now, you're going to peel them and slice them. Now, if you really got to have yourself some peach cobbler in the wintertime and you don't have fresh peaches, you know, you can substitute the frozen ones or the canned. No judgment here, folks. And one tablespoon of lemon juice. You're going to preheat your oven to 375 degrees, all right? Now, this is so simple. And quite frankly, guys, this is really stuff you probably already have in the house. This is an easy recipe. You're going to place your butter in a 13 by 9 inch baking dish, and you're going to melt it in the oven, okay? You're going to then set the baking dish aside, and in a mixing bowl, you're going to combine the flour, one half of the sugar, which would be one cup, the baking powder, and the salt. Then you're going to add the milk and stir just until the dry ingredients are incorporated. Then you're going to pour the batter over the melted butter in the pan, but don't combine them, okay? Now, in a saucepan, you're going to combine one, the other remaining cup of sugar, the peaches, and the lemon juice. You're going to stir it continuously and bring it to a boil over medium-high heat. Then pour the peach mixture evenly over the batter in the baking pan, but once again, don't combine, all right? Now, some people like to sprinkle a little cinnamon on at this point. You can do that. It's not my preference, but you can absolutely do that. I have a friend that does that. Now, you're going to bake your peach cobbler for 45 minutes until it's golden and bubbly, and you're going to serve it warm. Yes, indeed. <laughs> now, this can be topped with vanilla ice cream or whipped cream. Oh, Marquis, don't you just love it when you put like a scoop of vanilla ice cream on top of the peach cobbler and then it just starts to melt? I love it. Oh, can, can man. I Can I jump in here real quick? Yes. It's a peach cobbler recipe that's been in my family for generations. Yeah. And it's super simple. Yeah? Same concept. Melt okay. the butter in the oven. Yeah. You know, in, in your pan. Yeah. But instead, we're using self-rising flour. Mm-hmm. 
and we're going to use two cans of peaches. Right. We're using canned peaches here because yeah. what we're doing is we're just going to dump everything. Oh, so the together. juices. You got the juices yeah. in there, too. Mm. So we, we do the same same way. We self-rotten flour, a cup of milk, a cup of sugar, mix it together with one egg. Really? We're going to get our uh, batter uh-huh. poured into the melted butter. Right. And then we pour our peaches with the juices on top of that. Hello. And we just put it in the oven. Hello. First recipe I ever learned. You're kidding. Yes, and I, I, I was always like, well, how do we get that crust on it? Yeah. My grandma was like, it just comes to the top, baby. It does. It's and almost it, like a science experience. Yeah, and it's so it, experience. It just kind of, ri- the, the, right? The batter just kind of rises up I, out I of the peaches. I don't even eat the peaches half the time. I just eat no. the crust. The crust is right. the best part. And you know, I, I, you're, you're like me. I'm like, am I, am I weird that I like the crust part actually better than the peaches? <laughs> oh, that need to amazing. See, you, could write, you need to write a cookbook, Marquis. Oh. Yeah? Jenny and Marquis. Four pages long. <laughs> <laughs> okay, folks. So we've got our we've got our dessert taken care of. I have got a really super uh, an additional peach recipe for you guys. You're going to love this. And believe it or not, this is a shortcut. This is a cheat. You can do a lot of this in the microwave. Now Ooh. there are a lot of chefs and a lot of cooks that have opinions about microwaves, right? <sighs> Some are like, I will not have a microwave in my kitchen. I don't know who these people are, but obviously <laughs> they didn't raise four children and needed to reheat pizza or five or in Marquis' case five. But I tell you, I don't I don't necessarily cook a meal from scratch in my microwave, but it is ideal for reheating anything. But listen to this. We have a recipe now for peach pepper preserves, and you're going to love it. You're going to need about four and a half cups of peeled and diced peaches, okay? That's about two and a half pounds of fresh peaches. You need one jalapeno pepper minced. Now, I would maybe take out those seeds, you know, unless you want to take a walk on the wild side and you like the heat. But the membranes and the seeds typically hold most of the heat. You're going to chop up that, um, you're going to mince up that jalapeno pepper. One half red pepper, finely chopped, one and a half cups of sugar, and three tablespoons of fresh lime juice. Now, you're also going to need one little package of powdered fruit pectin, okay? That's what's going to help it to gel up and give it a nice consistency. Now, here we go. You're going to stir together everything in a four-quart microwave-safe glass bowl, Okay. Microwave everything on high for eight minutes. You are going to bring this mixture to a boil in the microwave. You're going to stir it good and then microwave it on high again, this time for eight to ten minutes. You want it to thicken up a little bit, okay? It's going to be the viscosity of almost like pancake syrup. You got it? Now, the mixture will thicken to sort of the consistency of soft set preserves after it cools and chills. So don't worry if it's still a little bit, you know, liquidy. It's going to thicken up. You want to cool the mixture completely for about two hours. You can serve it immediately or you can cover it and chill the preserves in an airtight container until ready to use. Now, it will keep in your refrigerator for up to three weeks. I can tell you now, it won't last three days in my house. It is so delicious and amazing. Now, what can you do with these amazing peach pepper preserves? You can serve them. I mean, I would do anything. My goodness. I would put a dollop of them next to my fried chicken. I would put a spoonful over my pan-seared fish. How about that? I would spread some of this on like a ham and cheese panini. You got that sweet and spicy kick going on, right? Put them over your tater tot kebabs. (laughs) Why not? (laughs) Why not? It sounds so good. The kids can dip theirs in branch dressing. You can dip yours in peach pepper preserves. (laughs) Or you could spoon them over any kind of cheese, like brie or, um, oh, how about this? How about a little bowl of just really yummy, uh, either plain or vanilla Greek yogurt, and then put a spoonful of this amazing peach pepper preserves over the top. Hello. 
Folks, this recipe will be on our website also. I think it's time for a little peach libation. What do you think? I think Marquee? so. It's time for a little cocktail. Now, this delicious uh, recipe is called Carolina Peach Sangria. All you need is a bottle of rosé wine, three-fourths of a cup of vodka, a half a cup of peach nectar, which you can find in the grocery store, six tablespoons of thawed frozen lemonade concentrate, two tablespoons of sugar, one pound of ripe peaches peeled and sliced, one package of fresh raspberries, and two cups of club soda chilled. Now, you're going to combine the rind, the vodka, the nectar, the lemonade concentrate, and the sugar in a pitcher until it dissolves. Then stir in the peaches and the raspberries. Cover and chill it for eight hours. Okay, so just put it in overnight. Then, when you're ready to serve, just pour in that chilled club soda. Hello. Fresh, sparkling, fruity, summertime. I want one right now, Marky. How about you? Oh. oh, guys. Listen, we've just given you several ways to enjoy peaches this summer. We love your ideas and concepts, though. Send us some ideas. We can mention them here on the radio. Just email us at radio at southernsistershome.com. I'm going to eat a lot of peaches. I'm moving to the country. I'm going to eat me a lot of peaches. I'm moving to the country. I'm going to eat a lot of peaches. I'm moving to the country. Southern Sisters Radio Show. Now, with your Southern narrative, sharing stories from around the South, here is your host, Jenny McCormick Earhart. Neighborhood Menace by S.C. Gwynn. He fought, stole, refused to listen, ruled the block, and had no shame. But he loved us. It started as a sound a low-pitched primeval snarl that drifted into our front yard from the house next door. Then came an ascending sequence of snarls, and then the ragged noise of full combat. Oh, good Lord, my father said with a mixture of annoyance and resignation. There they go again. In the next instant, we were sprinting toward the sound. My father grabbed the hose. I laid hold of a broom and a towel from the laundry line, anything to stop the fight that was now raging between our dog, Ruffy, and the neighbor's dog, Gulliver. We finally managed to pull them apart. There were torn ears and torn gums and a bit of blood on the ground. They were dragged away, breathless and wild-eyed, spoken to harshly and tied up for the rest of the day. All of this happened a long time ago, in a land far, far away, where there were only three television channels, and dogs roamed free, and no one spayed or castrated any of them. But the fight will serve as your introduction to Ruffy, the principal dog of my childhood, a strikingly handsome 85-pound male who was a cross between a collie mother and an unknown father who may or may not have been a St. Bernard. He was a sort of neighborhood swashbuckler, a free spirit who made his own rules and happily followed them. Whatever there was of the rationalist in him, the sort of dog who quietly behaved himself and got rewarded for it by his grateful master, was greatly outweighed by his buccaneering impulses. Ruffy never quite grasped the idea of consequences. (laughs) 
Ruffy did not see any problem, for example, with the notion of removing a large steak from a neighbor's grill while it was cooking and dragging it off across the lawn, in spite of the sharp smack that such behavior guaranteed. Or with breaking down a screen door to gain access to an obscenely expensive purebred Irish setter named Guinevere, whose offspring were destined for the Westminster show and mating with her in the kitchen. Thankfully, the Congress did not result in a litter of puppies. Or with crossing county lines in search of love. I remember my mother getting a phone call from an angry dog owner who lived fully seven miles away, complaining that our dog was, quote-unquote, bothering his female dog, who happened to be in heat. Ruffy had managed to defeat the owner's fences and gates, and no amount of shooing would make him leave. We retrieved him, only to receive an even angrier call the next day. "'Your dern dog is still here, lady,' the man said. "'Come get your dern dog.' We got many calls like that. That dern dog had other bad habits, too. He chased cars his teeth coming so close to the tires that it seemed impossible that he would not be pulled under them. He miscalculated once, only once as far as we knew, for a motorcycle and was rolled hard by it. He survived with minor scratches. He terrorized garbage collectors and meter readers. He dug holes around my mother's juniper bushes, massive, patiently engineered excavations that took hours to refill. On the tennis court, Ruffy's idea of fun was to intercept balls in mid-flight and then play keep-away as you chased him. When you got the ball back, if you got it at all, it was a gooey, drool-sodden sphere of mush that was useless for play. Our tennis partners would all say, Ew, gross. Preceding descriptions, you may have most likely come to an obvious conclusion. Ruffy was an unneutered, free-range, pain-in-the-rear male dog. You would not be wrong. But you would be missing another important truth. For in spite of his elaborate self-indulgence, he was also the best and most beloved family dog I or my four younger siblings have ever had, and that includes all of the dogs we have collectively owned as adults. How could this be so? Because whatever adventures and personal entertainments Ruffy pursued in life, we all knew that his first choice was always us, the children. Plundering Guinevere, stealing steaks, digging in Mom's garden, and fighting with Gulliver were his hobbies, his off-hours entertainment, things he did, I suppose, when he was bored. His main job, which he took quite seriously, was being the Gwen family dog. This meant that most of the time, he was with us five kids. He followed us everywhere. He was like Ruth in the Bible, whither thou goest, I will go. When my sister took her horse on long rides through nearby orchards, Ruffy followed diligently and selflessly behind, no matter how many miles she rode or how hot or cold the weather. Sometimes he caught a hoof for his troubles. He followed all of my siblings around the neighborhood. At a nearby skating pond, he would do a trick that we all remember with gem-like clarity. With three or four of us hanging onto his tail, he would begin to move forward, 
slowly gain momentum and eventually break into a fast trot. Soon, he and his whooping passengers were whizzing down the ice as the neighbors looked on in amazement. At that same frozen pond, my brother once fell through the ice. He found himself underwater looking up at the sheet of ice above him. Suddenly, that ice shattered and Ruffy appeared beside him in the water. It was unclear what that dog was trying to do, but he clearly understood that he had to do something. My brother's friends pulled both of them out. Sometimes, of course, we did not want to be followed. In summertime, Ruffy came down to the beach with us, to our boats, and, if not invited aboard, would take off in pursuit. A lone collie mix chugging along after our sailboat in the channel with the big motorboats. We thought he was going to drown or be run over. We usually had to bail him out. In the car, where he loved being with us, he was famous for his weapons-grade flatulence and the cataracts of drool that would come forth when the rest of us were eating lunch. Then there were the tennis courts, where I think the main problem was that we weren't playing with him. Ruffy was also our protector. When horseplay in the yard turned too rough, he would very deliberately and gently place his mouth around the forearm of the offending party. The implication? You're going a bit too far. He once cornered two men in our driveway, who, as it turned out, were carrying stolen goods from the house next door. When I came upon the scene, my uncle and father were standing on one side of the driveway, the intruders on the other. Ruffy's fangs were fully bared and held an inch away from one of the men's legs. The man kept saying, Get your dog away from me! My father refused until they dropped what they were carrying. Ruffy once fought a bloody draw with a 40-pound raccoon on our screen porch. Ruffy died at the age of 14 in 1976. I was 23 at the time. My youngest sibling was 12. None of us could quite believe it. None of us could remember a time when Ruffy was not there. He had suffered from heartworm. The veterinarian had told my parents that the reason he had to be put down was that his heart was three times the normal size. Any of us could have told him that. Finger Salutes by Donovan Webster We're not talking about rude behavior here. The opposite, in fact. But this is something that usually happens only in rural southern two lanes. You can't do it on an interstate or along a six-lane strip of discount malls and big-box stores. And despite what the driving instructions have taught my children, hands at three and nine o'clock to avoid your thumbs being injured in an airbag deployment, back on the rural roads, I always keep my right hand at 12 o'clock on the steering wheel. That way, when I pass someone going the other way, even a stranger, I can lift my index finger just to say, hi. It's a thing peculiar to the South. They don't do this in New England or California or Indianapolis, even in the less urban parts, I know. The salute can go bigger. If you maybe recognize an acquaintance's car coming from the other direction, you can raise your index and middle finger in a kind of double salute peace sign. If it's a friend, you, of course, switch hands on the wheel and give the whole full hand wave. If you don't, they're likely to worry you're mad at them. They know you saw them. <laughs> <laughs> 
It's a politeness thing. You know, I want to acknowledge you. Unless you're in Atlanta or maybe Charlotte or D.C., nobody honks their horn a heck of a lot. The salute is an antidote to such disturbings of the peace. By now, the salute has gone deep in my blood. More than once driving to my farm, I've even given a high sign to my neighbor's guinea hens, who have a gift for getting out of their pen and out on the road to pick up tiny bits of gravel to help their gullets. I don't know where it came from. Maybe it's been around since long before Henry Ford got busy. More than a century ago. Maybe we've been hailing each other from carriages, penny-farthing bicycles, horseback, wagons. And I don't know if it'll ever evolve into anything else. But it's there, and the other person usually responds in kind, which I greatly appreciate. for joining us this week on the Southern Sisters radio program. I'm your host, Jenny McCormick Earhart. Can't thank you enough for being here. Remember, all of the recipes we talked about today, as well as lots of other amazing Southern information, is available on our website. Just visit southernsistershome.com and send us your feedback. We love, love, love to hear from you. Email us at radio at southernsistershome.com. Have a wonderful week. 